a privilege to be with you. Uh, I want to turn to God's Word to Ecclesiastes chapter 11, which we're going to look at uh, in a moment. There's, uh, you know, such a large number in this church. Uh, I was wondering uh, where my wife and daughter were because they're they're, they're here, I think, in theory. I'm not going to ask them to wave or stand up or do anything like that, because they wouldn't anyway. But um, I sent a text to my wife saying, are you here? And the response I got from a free church minister's wife was, no, nah, we decided to go to a movie instead. <laughs> <laughs> the free church ain't what it used to be. No. <laughs> uh, and the, there's a serious question, actually, even in that. Why bother being here? Why not stay at home? Why not go shopping? Why not go to a movie? Why come and do, as people would think, something religious? And maybe you've just come into this church and you're thinking, what is all this about? Because where else in today's Scotland would you meet with people to sing together or to look at something? And we're going to read words here that are 3,000 years old. And what's that got to do with you and me? We might think reality is what we go out, when we're walking out in the street, when we go home, and, and all these different things. And that coming in and looking at the Word of God, or looking at the Bible, that somehow seems somewhat unreal. And yet, as we look at it, I hope that you'll see just how real this is and how it's God's Word to us. So I want to begin just by reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 11, and we're going to read from verses 1 to 6, and then hopefully we'll get to look at the second part of the chapter as well. I will take my watch off to make sure that we stick with time. Um, Ship your grain across the sea. After many days you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Well, this is God's Word, and yet we look at it and you think, okay, What's that about? Is this all going to be about farming or, you know, watching the weather? Um, fascinating as both those subjects are. But I want to think about it in this way. Some of us, at times, feel somewhat lethargic. We can't be bothered. Uh, if you actually read through this book of Ecclesiastes, there's much that you can identify with, because basically, Solomon has tried it all. He's tried everything in life, wine, women, and song, and he, uh, and basically sitting down going, what's the point? It's all meaningless anyway. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, or meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. How can you live your life not knowing what's going to happen? I mean, people are, if you think about it, here we are, today, the, just coming towards the end of October, going into November, and there's things coming up in your lives, in your work, things coming up nationally and internationally. Who knows what's going to happen in Syria? Who knows which wonderful American president we're going to get out of the two? You know, we, we, you, can, you could really freak out looking at everything that is going on. 
But also I think many of us can just have a complete sense of utter meaninglessness. The psychologist Carl Jung reported that a third of his patients suffered from no definable neurosis other than, quote, the senselessness and meaninglessness of their lives. The Beatles song, Eleanor Rigby, carried uh, just a tremendous line, all the lonely people, where do they all come from? And it's describing how in Liverpool, just watching people walking down this particular street, and there's one lady, Eleanor Rigby, and, and, and just so lonely in the midst of so many people. I mean, here we are in a great crowd of people in here, and it's possible that you could be very, very lonely. Doug Copeland, uh, just a fantastic writer, um, who kind of sees the problems in contemporary society but doesn't see the solutions, once described uh, one of his characters as too lonely to live, too frightened to die. There's an emptiness in many people which people try to fill but never quite succeed. And what Solomon does in Ecclesiastes is as he gets to chapter 11, when he keeps going on about how meaningless everything is, he begins to teach us that there's another way of living, that there's a life with meaning and with purpose. And verses 1 to 6 really speak about the life of faith, and verse 7 onwards speak about a life of joy. So I want us just to take a wee bit of time to look at these. Ship your grain across the sea. Now, that's uh, the new NIV translation. It's what we're reading. It's what I guess the verse means, but I still prefer the old cast your bread upon the waters. Um, what does it mean? Well, bread refers to the basic things of life. And in this case, it's referring to business and investment and to maritime trade. Because King Solomon, according to 1 Kings 10.22, had a fleet of trading ships at sea along with the ships of Hiram. Once every three years, it returned carrying gold, silver, and ivory, and apes and baboons. So this is written from the perspective of somebody who, if you like, goes down to Leith Docks, puts all his investment into a fleet of ships, off you go. And he doesn't know if they're going to come back and when they are going to come back. Now, what Solomon is doing here is, as he's talking about that, he's talking about living a life of faith. He's talking about a total commitment. He's talking about an investment, if you like, which involves casting yourself. It's forward-looking. You're looking to what is ahead, and it's patient after many days. Now, there's a very simple thing there. For those of us who are Christian believers, we live in a culture and a society which is very, very instant. I'm ashamed to say this, but in my office at the church, I have two packs of cup of soup. And that's because I can get up, boil the kettle, put it in, even I can make cup of soup. It's very instant. But to be honest, it's like your salt intake for the day in one go. And also, it's like drinking cardboard, you know. And, and well, fair enough, I suppose. But the Lord gave us taste buds and so on. And, uh, you know, when uh, I'm not all that great at making soup, but Annabelle's fantastic at making soup. And it's this idea of sometimes if things are worthwhile, you take time with them. And when our faith in God, there are far too many people who say, well, Lord, I'm going to pray for this, and I want this to happen, I want this to happen now. And we need to think a much longer-term perspective. I remember, 
I, sorry, I mentioned Gordon Wilson. And I remember him saying to, to me one thing when we started off Solace. He said, David, in the 1950s, a group of us belonged to a very small group called the SNP. And we met in Stirling and we planned a Scottish government 100 years from now. We didn't think it would happen. But we planned long-term. He said, in the church, you're rubbish at planning long-term or thinking long-term. And I think that is important, the life of faith in God. Those of you who've got children, what you teach your children now is what will bear fruit in maybe 40 or 50 years' time. But we just don't think like that. What we do as a church here now may bear fruit in 20 or 30 years' time. You know, we're, we're always looking for something that's instant, that we, we, we can buy and purchase and get now. And Solomon says, no, no, ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a reward. I think this is also associated here with charity. The Targum version of this says, give your nourishing bread to the poor who go in ships upon the surface of the water, for after a period of many days, you will find its reward in the world to come. There's an Arabic proverb which says, do good, throw your bread on the waters, and one day you'll be rewarded. And there's a Yorkshire proverb that says, money's like muck, no use unless it's spread around, which is typical Yorkshire. But it's to the point and correct. And what it's, what's being said here is that, again, the Christian is someone who's going to, if you like, diversify in lots of ways and share what we have as much as we can. Now... He then goes on, verses 3 and 4, talking about the clouds, and there's a certain poetic style here. There's rain and there's wind, um, and what these verses are really speaking about, the trees falling and so on, is the randomness of life and the inevitability of certain things. In other words, it's saying we are not in control. We cannot control the difficulties of life even when we anticipate them, and that means that, that's a hugely significant thing for us because some of us, we live in a culture which says you're in control, you're in charge, you can handle this, you can deal with this. But actually, we can't. And there are so many random things that could just completely happen. You, you could be cycling on your way to work, full of the joys of life, listening to praise or a sermon on a podcast, going through a cemetery, thanking that you're not dead and landing up in a grave uh, and ending up in hospital. You know, that, nobody anticipates that kind of thing. You do not anticipate that when you visit the doctor because you've got a sore back, that the doctor recommends you go for a scan and you discover that you've got cancer. You, you cannot plan for that kind of thing. And that will often have a tendency in some, with some of us to make us feel just incredibly crushed or incredibly fearful. We'll say, I will do this when this gets sorted. I will do this when that gets fixed. I will do this. And what Solomon is telling us is, no, get on with it right now. Don't be crippled by your fears of disasters that may come. Lack of complete knowledge, says one man, is no excuse for complete inactivity. The life of joy does not come to the waverer. Do you know there are people, and I suspect maybe even some here, who you're interested in Jesus, you're interested in the Bible, it's why you're here, you want to find out more about Christianity, but you've never actually committed your life to Jesus Christ because you're thinking, but I need to know more, I need to know more, I need to know more. 
we had, and don't worry, I'm not going to make a political point, but we had uh, a referendum on Europe. And it's intriguing to me that one of the most interesting complaints from people who are on the losing side is, oh, people just didn't know enough. If only they'd known more, then they would have voted the way we wanted. There wasn't enough knowledge. If only people had complete knowledge. Well, I'm not, I don't understand that at all because we don't have complete knowledge about anything. We know so little. Who knows what is going to happen? We make decisions based upon the limited knowledge that we have. But we do decide. We make a commitment. Maybe, I've, I've seen this several times, you'll find um, maybe a young man will come to me and he'll say, he wants to talk about the relationship he's got with his girlfriend and should I marry her? And sometimes I'll get the kind of conversation which goes, I'm just not 100% sure that she's the one. Well, I'm sorry, who's 100% sure about absolutely everything? About anything at all? You know, you make a basis, you make a decision, you say, okay, I'm going to run with this, I'm going to go with this. It's not that I know everything, but I know enough to make a commitment. And that's why Solomon then goes on to talk about understanding the maker. He says, we can't control things, but in verse 5, you can't understand the work of God, the maker of all things. You can't know God's plan. I think that the, the wind that's spoken to here, the path of the wind, does refer to the human spirit. We feel the effect of the Spirit. We feel eternity is in our hearts. He said that earlier. We see the results of fetal development. We see God working in the world. But what is God doing it? And, and why is He doing it? That's largely beyond us. Lord, why did you allow this to happen? We don't often know. So here's an interesting thing. The preacher is telling us that the life of faith is not a, a faith that is based upon our complete understanding or knowledge. And even when you become a Christian, the life of faith does not remove the problem of our ignorance. What it does is it enables us to live with it. We're not being told. The Lord's not saying to us, look, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. Now, get on and do it. He's saying, get on and live for me. Get on and follow me, even in the midst of all this uncertainty. And that's why in verse 6, he says, sow your seed in the morning. The, when we did the conference yesterday, um, there were a couple of people who spoke to me after the first morning session, which I thought was a toned-down version of what I had to say, and they were quite genuinely distressed at what they heard about what's going on in culture and in society. And they said, oh, that just, it makes you so discouraged and so depressed, and, you know, it makes you almost like want to give up. And my answer was no. It's precisely in these situations that we sow the seed of the gospel. Since we don't know, he's saying almost, you better plant twice. Sow your seed in the morning, at evening, don't let your hands be idle. The Targum, again, the Jewish commentary on this, has an interesting perspective. It thinks that it refers to children. I'm not sure that this is a legitimate application, but it's basically saying have as many kids as you can. Well, I, I know that there are some uh, proponents of church growth who advocate in that way, just grow your church by, you know, having as many children as possible. And my own congregation in St. Peter's, um, we had virtually no children uh, about, what, 15 years ago, and now you can't move for children. They leave for the Sunday school, and when they leave, it's like a mass exodus. Um, we're, at, we're, at, we're at a stage where I think we're going to ask, now, can the adults just please leave and go to the hall for the sermon, the kids staying here? 
because they're just breeding all the time. Um, uh, it's, it's one way to do church growth. But I don't think that's the application here. This is not a message, go out and have as many kids as you possibly can. That's not what's being said. I think it is the, the image of spiritual seed. Hosea, Hosea 10 verse 12, sow for yourself righteousness, reap the fruit of unfailing love, and break up your unplowed ground, for it's time to seek the Lord until He comes and showers righteousness on you. Or Galatians 6, the one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You keep sowing, you keep sowing, you keep sowing. You break up the unplowed ground and you will eventually reap because God's Word will not return to Him empty. There's that person you've been praying for, that son or that daughter, that relative, that work colleague, that friend, and you've been praying for a whole year and nothing's happened. Keep praying. Because your prayers may not be answered even in your lifetime, but they will be answered. I remember a, a man called Benny who was working on the West Coast as a, a roofer, and it started chucking down rain, as it occasionally does on the West Coast. And uh, so he went inside the house. The house was his granny's house. His granny was a godly woman, a free Presbyterian lady. And uh, she'd often prayed for her children and grandchildren. He hadn't even been born when she died, apparently. And he went into the house. He had nothing to do. And all that was left in the house was a little black Bible. So he started reading it. And he was converted through that, age 40. And she'd prayed decades before for him and for his salvation. Don't give up. You reap a harvest if you don't give up. I think also what's being said here is that the Christian life is one of adventure. F.B. Meyer once said, I don't want my life to end in a swamp. Um, I, again, if you're not a Christian, you've come in here and you're thinking, oh, to be a Christian, nice idea, but be so boring. Mm -mm. Well, certainly that's not been my experience at all. I, I've never found Christianity or the Christian life boring in any sense whatsoever. It's just an enormous adventure as you, as you follow Christ and as Christ leads you in, in ways that you would never, ever expect. It's the day of opportunity. The farmer sits down. He has this idea of um, not being idle, but he does his work. We say, I don't know if it's going to rain. Who knows where the tree might fall? I can't understand what God is doing. But you don't sit down and say, I'm going to do nothing. We don't know when Christ is going to return. So what we do is we get on with living for him now. The life of faith is a life of action. But then let's read verses 7 to 10. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all, but let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. You who are young, be happy while you're young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. Okay, how do I get joy out of that? Um, because, and if you go on to the next chapter, 
It's a great, the best description I've ever read of getting old, describing about how your teeth fall out and how you can't see and you lose your appetites and so on. Uh, Ecclesiastes 12 is a real laugh. Go for it. Uh, but <laughs> we're, we're not going to have time to do that today. So this is, I think, I think it's particularly directed to the young and since 60 is the new 20, that's probably most of you here. The life of joy it's not just a life of faith, it's a life of joy. Verse 7, here comes the sun. Light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. Well, if that was true in Israel, it's even truer in Scotland. Uh, uh, and it is wonderful to see. Light here carries this idea of consciousness and the whole bringing of life. It's the idea of being joyfully alive. Again, it's the Beatles. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun, isn't it? just wonderful. And driving from Dundee to Edinburgh. Uh, by the way, did you know this? Dundee is the city of sunshine in Scotland. We have 40 days more sunshine than you do in Edinburgh. And, and you're second uh, in, in that. So uh, come to Dundee, the city of sun. It's really quite funny because Dundee University shamelessly advertised as being in Scotland's sunniest city. And these poor students from Africa... <laughs> come off the train in summer with t-shirts and shorts and they're freezing, you know, because sunny, it's all relative and doesn't necessarily mean warm. But we love seeing the sun and, you know, driving down, you just love the, the colors and everything that the sun brings. And here he says, look, there's, a, there's, there, there's light that we can enjoy in this life that, that we can experience. There will be times of darkness. And that's why he says in verse eight, however, remember, you enjoy your years, but remember the days of darkness. Your enjoyment is to be lifelong because it's internal, it's in your heart, it's external, it's through your eyes. But he says there will be days of darkness. And it's not just because I'm a Scottish Calvinism, Calvinist that I look and go, oh, it's sunny today, but we'll pay for it tomorrow. You, look, days of gloom are going to come, you know, weather-wise. But days of sunshine are also going to come. And that goes in terms of our lives as well. There are days of vanity, days of meaninglessness. And that's why he said we need effort. Because these days bring delay and uncertainty and perplexity and difficulty and ignorance and disappointment. And yet he says, even for the Christian, it's possible to enjoy these days. Because here is the massive difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. For the non-Christian, no matter the particular feeling you have at any one time, the backdrop to your life is the curtain of death. You can't get away from that. We're all in the same boat. But for the Christian, death has been defeated. Death is the last enemy, if you like, but it has lost its sting. It has lost its power. And the Christian remembers that there's a day of judgment coming where we do have to give account. But because we have faith and trust in Christ, then that changes the whole perspective on everything, even the most serious and hard things in our lives. There is a joy that is in the heart. Let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Wendell Lovelace, the founder of the Moody Bible Institute in his 90s, uh, said this, I don't go out much now because my parents won't let me. Mother nature and father time, you know. I mean, when you're young, you just think you can do 
anything. Absolutely. I was a student here in this city, in Edinburgh, you know, and for me, going to bed early was three o'clock in the morning, you know, and I, I could just, I had so much energy to, to do loads and loads and loads of different things, and when I got to about 40, I realized I wasn't 17, but it took me that long for my mind to catch up. But, you know, as you're going on and you, you get older and you do get slower and you're not able to do everything that you once could do. And so what Solomon is saying is, look, when you're young, there are special pleasures you can enjoy. He's not commending a life of sin, by the way. He's just saying that young and old are different. I think we live in a society, by the way, where there's a cult of youth, where uh, there are older people trying to be young, which is just gross, you know. When Liam comes in here on a Harley Davidson and a ponytail, just do, give him a slap, do something with him. <laughs> Tell him it's gone, that's it. And we shouldn't expect young people to be old either. You, when you're young, enjoy what God has given you, but let that joy be controlled by the knowledge of God's judgment. Follow the ways of your heart, whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. And we are to know just because you're young doesn't mean that you have to be daft. Again, um, Doug Copeland in his novel, Eleanor Rigby, says this, the best thing about being young is being stupid. Or rather, the best thing about being young is being too stupid to know how stupid you really are. Well, I apologize if you're young and you're thinking, wait a minute, what are you saying we're stupid? Well, in, in one sense, yes, we all are at that level. But you know what it's like when you're 14, 15, 16 year olds, you think you know everything, your parents know nothing. And even when you're in your, you know, late teens, early 20s, you go, oh, our generation of God is sus. These guys don't know. And basically, you begin to get it sussed when you get to about 70 and realize how little you know and have ever known. And I think that's important. That's what the Bible's saying. It's saying, look, we're very limited in our knowledge. It's good to know things, but we are limited. And then verse 10 is really just saying, banish anxiety from your heart, saying, don't worry. Youth and vitality are transient. They are. There's vexation. He says they're, they're meaningless. He talks about the troubles of your body, the, the, the physical barriers that there are to joy. He talks about things which anger us or grieve us or irritate us or disillusion us or lead, lead us to cynicism. To live a life of joy means being able to deal with that cynicism. And what he's saying is this. It's good for a young person to remove the barriers to real joy, mental and physical, and sow in your youth what you will reap in your old age. Please do not fall. If you are a younger person, do not fall for the devil's lie. Go on. Sow your wild oats while you're young. Have a great time, and you can make up for it later. What you sow now, you reap later. And now is actually the time to develop really good habits of godliness. And I saw the, the book being mentioned there, Habits of Grace. Now's the time to do that. Now's not the time. I think it is really sad to see the infantilization, particularly of young men, that's occurring in our culture that basically is encouraging young men not to even think about growing up at all until they're 30. Just go play computer games, do whatever you want, who cares? Don't take responsibility. But Solomon's saying the opposite. Sow in your youth what you'll reap in your old age and get rid of anxiety. Therefore I tell you, says Jesus, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, 
can add a single hour to his life. Take that as a motto for your life. You're worried about cancer. I'm sorry, you can't do anything about, but worry, by worrying about it. You're worrying about what may happen with this, that, and the other thing, and you can't do anything by worrying about it. We have to purify ourselves from everything that would contaminate our bodies, 2 Corinthians 7.1, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us pure ourselves, purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Youthful sins, says Spurgeon, lay a foundation for aged sorrows. You can have, now this is where language <laughs> becomes a bit of a problem. If you're from Northern Ireland and from the north of Scotland, you understand this. Oh, it's a good crack. If you're from America, you might have a different perspective <laughs> on, on what that means. But, you know, you can be absolutely serious about life. You can understand some of the heavy issues we were looking at yesterday. You can understand some of the pains and sorrows, and you can observe, and you can feel, and you can weep, and you can be serious about being committed to God and following Jesus Christ, and at the same time, really enjoy life really enjoy life. I think there's a superficial joy that a lot of people have, but it just doesn't last. But the Christian does. Now, let me finish by returning to that first verse. Ship your grain across the sea or cast your bread on the waters. Care for the poor, good business sense. Yes, but I want to think about it particularly in terms of the gospel. We do live in very, very interesting times. And we live in times where many, many people are ignorant of the gospel. And we need to be sowing seed. We need to have what is called gospel intentionality. We need to be talking to people. And I'm sorry, but just going out onto the street and hitting them with a tract is not sufficient. There's a lot of breaking up of ground that needs to be done. There's a, a, a lot of relationships and so on that we need to develop with people. And sometimes it will take a long, long time before anyone even wants to hear the gospel, never mind before they come to faith. But we need to be patient and to sow that seed. Subject we were talking about yesterday, I've been involved with for a long time. And in particular, uh, I was so interested uh, when I was at university here, I used to meet and discuss with various people from um, what was then GaySoc now LGBT+. And there was a theory at the time which had been around for just a few years called queer theory. And what was fascinating for me about queer theory was that the advocates of it thought that it would take decades before society would change. And they were sowing seed all the time, getting involved in media, getting involved in politics. And they were right. So we have gone in Scotland in a decade from situations that were completely unthinkable to now it being considered unthinkable not to accept them. And that's only the beginning. You wait and see what's going to happen over the next 10 years. And that may be incredibly frightening. For me, I look at it and I just think, this is what the Lord says. This is what the Bible says. And when people reject God's word and go their own way, then they reap the consequences. That's what happens. But we as Christians are not despondent because what we're doing is we're not fighting some kind of political battle. We're going and telling people about the God of all grace. We're going and telling people about Jesus. And we ourselves are sowing seed. And it's not seed just 
for 10, 20, 30 years' time, though it's partly that. It's seed for eternity. And that is just a phenomenal thing. I heard a preacher once talking about how if he knew that Jesus was returning in a, within a week, what would he do? And his answer really disappointed, to put it mildly, because he said, I'd go and get drunk because I've never been drunk in my life. And I thought, you're an evangelical preacher? Even as a joke, you think that's funny? If I knew that Jesus was coming, that the end of the world was next week, imagine how it would change everything I do. Let me put it another way. For some reason, BBC Radio 4 and BBC Radio Scotland, between them over the past few weeks, have been having various interviews and programs that are to do with people who are journalists or otherwise well-known who've got cancer, and they're blogging about it and writing about it and so on. And they are fascinating interviews that they have been doing. And the question is always, how, you know, how has this changed your perspective on life? And they've gone, you know, I'm going for this because it's so more important. I'm doing this because it's so more important. How do you know when you're planning, in 10 years' time, I'm going to do this? In five years' time, I'll be this? How do you know any of that? You don't know that. What you've got is today. And actually, the evil that exists today, that's sufficient. You don't need to worry about tomorrow. That's what Jesus says. But in terms of your life, who knows? You could be here for another 50, 60 years, and you could be gone tomorrow. And on the day of judgment, you don't want to be standing before the Lord saying, ah, but Lord, I was going to, I was going to, I was going to. That's what's called procrastination. That's what this passage is about. I used to do that all the time at school. I used to always have this excuse for homework for my French teacher, who, God bless her, was a Christian and forgave me many times and prayed for me many times. Because uh, I used to have a different excuse every week. The cat ate my homework, went under a bus, you know, Everything. And one time she just looked at me and she just said to me, Robertson, your wishbone's where your backbone should be. I never forgot that. That hurt. Ouch. <laughs> but I think some of us as Christians are like that. Oh, I want to do this. I'd like to do this. I like to do this. And the Lord says to us, no, get on. Cast your bread on the waters. Leonard Cohen has a new album out, and it's just, I mean, it's incredibly beautiful and incredibly moving. And he's talking about his death. He's 82 years old. And he's just so close to the gospel, and yet so far away. And he's talking about life is not real without your love. And he's talking about God. And yet another time he's saying, well, how do I know who you are? What's the truth? And I'm thinking, oh, Leonard, you're so close. You're so close. Well, we, if we are believers, we are uncertain of the future. We don't know it. We don't know everything. In fact, we know so little. But we are to act upon what we do know. And we are to trust that the Lord knows. And we are to rejoice as those who walk along knowing that not only has he got the whole world, but he's got us in his hands. And let me say this just to finish. If you're not a believer, of course you're going to be uncertain of the future. The Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. 
Please don't think about, well, I'm going to investigate this in a few years' time. Let me get my degree, then I'll think about it. No. You need to find out about Jesus now. You need to find out if this is true. And you need to commit your way to follow him now. May God bless his word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Encourage us as we go from this place and enable us to be faithful in sowing the seed of your word. Enable us in our own lives with all the anxieties and fears that we have to draw near to you and to trust you completely. And may your blessing be upon each one of us here and all whom we love in your name. Amen.